welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Welcome friends to episode 19. We are absolutely thrilled to be able to share this very special interview with you. A few weeks back over on Instagram, I asked for your dream guests for this podcast. And one name that came up was Dr. David Bernard, the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International. Well, he's also been on my list of dream guests. So we reached out to his staff to extend the invitation. He was gracious enough to accept and make a little time for us in his schedule. And then we had to decide what topics we wanted to cover. There is literally an endless list of subjects we could have chosen. But in the end, I decided to stick with the theme of this show, and I brought him some of the good questions I've been asking myself lately. As I expected, his answers were thorough and thought-provoking. Dr. Bernard is a man of education as well as a man of God, and his ability to speak truth with both love and wisdom is something I've admired about him for many years, but especially in the past year and a half when the challenges of life and ministry have grown so exponentially. I encourage you, if you're not already, to follow him on Facebook. He posts regularly, and I've found the thoughts he shares there to be helpful and encouraging during uncertain times. If you are a member of the United Pentecostal Church, I hope this interview encourages you that our organization is in good hands. And if you're not a part of the UPCI, the practical wisdom shared here is not limited to one organization. I know it's going to bless you as well. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. David Bernard. Dr. David Bernard, welcome to Good Question. Thank you. It's great to be on. We are very excited to have you on the show with us. You are someone who has been on our list of kind of dream guests for a while. And so I was very thankful that we were able to get connected and make this happen. I wanted to tell you from the outset, when we were talking about having you on the podcast, of course, there are so many topics that we would love to pick your brain about. But of course, time is limited and your schedule is very busy. So we only have a little bit of time and I had to kind of narrow down what we wanted to talk to you about. And the thing that I kept coming back to was how impressed and how grateful I have been for your leadership over the past you know, year or so that has been a very difficult time for a lot of people. And one of the things that I found kind of maybe in the early days of the pandemic, maybe a little before that, was that I had started following you on Facebook and I found through out all of the chaos that has gone on and the uncertainty of the last year or so that your Facebook posts have been such an encouragement to me because of their balanced and thoughtful and just kind of calming tone. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. And I thought I would love to just kind of talk to you about how the past year has been for you and kind of hit briefly on some of the topics that have come up. Of course, we won't be able to get into anything in too much detail, 
because we are limited for time. But that's kind of where I'm hoping to go in the discussion. But before we start, I think most people who listen to our show will know who you are. But for those who might not, if you wouldn't mind to just introduce yourself really briefly for us. Well, certainly. And thank you for all those kind remarks. I am currently the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International, which is the largest uh, oneness or apostolic Pentecostal organization. Uh, We are in 198 nations out of 210 plus 34 territories. Um, And so this is a full-time position. My permanent home is Austin, Texas, uh, but uh, my office is in the St. Louis area. And I'm the author of uh, 30-plus books and uh, circulation of about a million in 40 languages. Mm. And I've traveled to 110 nations and territories of the world, mostly for preaching and teaching. So that's a a brief synopsis. Well, thank you for that. You're also very highly educated. And that's one of the things that I find so fascinating is the breadth of your your education and knowledge base that you bring to this position. It's been a wonderful thing for us to have you in leadership, especially, as I said, during this last year that has been so difficult. As you said, you're leading an organization that is international and it's very large. So I'm just curious for you over all of these difficult days, what's been the most challenging aspect of this time and what's been the most encouraging? I suppose um, the two uh, things that have been the most challenging first is the uncertainty, you know, the fear, the doubt, and feeling a heavy weight of responsibility. My primary role is the U.S. and Canada, but also the rest of the world. And so just not knowing how the church would be affected and financially, spiritually, people dying. So that initially was a big concern, but of course, uh, you have to go to the Lord in prayer and get confirmation, and I will say God has blessed in amazing ways. The second big challenge has been the total disruption of all planning and scheduling. So mm-hmm. I usually schedule over a year in advance. I usually have about five overseas trips every year. I'm usually traveling 48 out of 52 weeks of the year, uh, many, many conferences. So all of that was just completely overturned mm-hmm. this past year. And even now we're scrambling. We're trying to make up for lost time. And so I've got a heavy schedule. But so um, that's been challenging to try to adjust on the on the spur of the moment, so to speak. But we've been able to do it and God has blessed us. That's great. So as you said, it's been an unprecedented situation and a lot of disruption and uncertainty. And I know for a lot of people, it was very disorienting and we weren't sure who we could trust and what we should believe. And you got all kinds of different perspectives coming out of the news and from different people you listened to. It seemed like you got a a different story everywhere you turned. And so just for you as a man of faith and also a man of education, how do you make decisions about who to trust in this kind of a situation? Like when we were It seemed that there was a lot of people had different opinions on which parts of the scientific guidance we should follow or when practicing our our faith and meeting as a church body should take precedent over, you know, the restrictions that were placed on us legally. How do you figure out how to walk that middle road of honoring both things, I guess? 
Well, let me give you several points. First of all, we must maintain a relationship with God in prayer. It's at the very outset. And I felt very troubled, and my spirit was heavy, and there was even a time I felt like maybe I was getting sick with COVID or something. And so I went to God in intercessory prayer until I felt God speak and say, everything's going to be okay, and uh, I will guide you, I will lead you, I'll give you what you need uh, for the job that you're supposed to do. And, of course, periodically we have to go back to God for that confirmation and, and to hear from Him. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the Bible, the Word of God. So there are principles that apply to every situation. There are principles of faith and trust in God and healing. There are also principles of respecting civil government and, and authority. So uh, if you know the Bible, you can apply these principles to your current situation. The third thing, it's helpful if you have a background of some of the things, things beforehand. So that uh, for some people, I think vaccines were totally unknown to them, uh, epidemics, um, constitutional law, you know, they'd never heard of these things. Well, I was fortunate enough, I was raised in Korea, uh, which at that time was a very poor country. And so I saw firsthand a different culture, but also different standards of living. And for example, when I grew up, smallpox was a raging disease. Uh, it wasn't conquered until 1980. And I saw people in Korea who had smallpox. And just to give you perspective, 300 million people died in the 20th, 20th century of smallpox. And approximately 30% of everyone who got smallpox died of it. So how was that eradicated? That was It was eradicated by a vaccine. So knowing that and seeing that firsthand, experiencing that, have, having had vaccines as a child and being required to have vaccines in order to travel and probably wouldn't even be alive today without vaccines. So that gave me a perspective before we ever heard of COVID-19, at least to approach it. Now, mm -hmm. there, there are unique situations about COVID-19 that we can talk about, but I'm just to answer your question. And then also, um, I graduated from law school. Uh, you know, that was before I felt the call to preach. I pursued my undergraduate and then my uh, degree and then, then law school. So uh, I had classes in constitutional law, so I was well acquainted with some of the legal issues and have been following those issues uh, throughout my ministry. So, it, uh, you know, I did have a perspective and a background maybe that most other people didn't have the opportunity uh, to have. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's it's almost like when we when we fall into a situation that's so new and unprecedented that it feels like we don't have the information that we need. But it's always good to be able to turn to someone who might have a little bit more information and say, I can trust what you're saying on this because I trust you as a person, as a man of God, as a leader. And that was, again, one of the things that I have found so encouraging through your Facebook posts, just kind of putting out information and saying, this is what I know. And this is why I'm choosing to go this way. Like, this is why I chose to be vaccinated. This is why, you know, I believe that we're in some cases, yes, maybe we are um, seeing some encroachments into our religious liberty in other places that we, you know, we aren't, it's not an all or nothing kind of situation. I know that I try as a personal rule to just not venture into Facebook comments a lot. But I know that uh, when I click over, a, you know, a little bit that there are people who I'm sure feel that you say too much and others who feel that you don't say enough. And so, 
you're in my prayers <laughs> for Thank being you. able to walk that middle road and, and lead with grace. I know it can't be an easy, uh, an easy place to be. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And I would further say that you have to consider the source. So on this subject we're talking about, first of all, I respect people's personal choice. I believe in Christian liberty, according to Romans 14. So, for example, some people may choose, say, to be vaccinated. Some people choose not, and I respect their personal choice. But when you go online, you can get every opinion in the world, and mm -hmm. it could be a supposed expert. But my suggestion would be don't get your primary information online. If you are going to do research, uh, especially scientific or medical, look for peer-reviewed journals. And again, you, you can't just expect to get up to speed on the spur of the moment, but you need to read a variety of books. And if you're going to read, then look at their bibli bibliographies and mm -hmm. their notes, see who they rely on. Uh, and it does help to have somewhat of an academic background so that you can sort through what is credible and what is not credible. Um, so I, you know, I would say uh, approach any online statement even from a so-called expert, with a certain degree of caution mm -hmm. and also a certain degree of common sense. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to use the Bible, there are some principles of interpretation. Uh, you can all make the Bible mean almost anything if you just take a few phrases here and there. Uh, and when you talk about end-time events or prophecies, it's easy just to have a surface view. But if you're really going to delve in that, you, you ought to read widely or study widely and um, and you have to look not only say at certain prophecies but you have to look at principles of biblical interpretation as I wrote a book called understanding God's word and so if you're really going to promote I mean you can have a personal opinion we're all entitled to our opinions but if you're really going to try to promote a, a strong view that you want everybody to respect then you have to do your homework mm, for sure well, in the midst of, of course, global pandemic and all of the chaos that that brought about in our lives um, here in the U.S., we also saw the issue of racial inequality kind of, I won't say it, it became an issue, it more it came out from the shadows and made itself visible to some of us who probably don't have to be confronted with it on a daily basis. And you have been very uh, vocal on this issue and you've participated in panel discussions and you've had uh, public comments and, and public forums on this topic. I'm curious, why do you feel like this is an important issue for you to speak on? And what do you wish we were doing as a church as a whole better for addressing this topic? Well, first of all, uh, this is not a new issue for me. So this is not simply a knee-jerk reaction or trying to be politically correct or trying to jump on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. All of my uh, life and particularly all of my ministry, I've been focused on uh, multicultural, multiracial evangelism. Again, I grew up in Korea as an American, as a white person. Uh, and, and we were blessed as American citizens. Our standard of living and our freedom was much greater than the average Korean. So I don't want to in any way portray that I was somehow oppressed. However, growing up in that culture, which is very different from ours, especially many years ago, in many situations, I would be the only white person. You know, I traveled downtown to go shopping or, or I even had a part-time job 
teaching English, I could be of of a of a hundred people on the street or fifty people in the bus or fifty people in a room, I would be the only white person and I'm obviously different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And there were times, yeah, that, that I was picked on because I was different from everybody else. So I know by first hand experience what it's like to be a minority. And I also understand that if you're in the majority you don't have to understand what minorities think about. You can navigate you, you, your speech, your mannerisms, your culture fits the majority culture, so you don't have to learn anything else to be successful. Mm-hmm. But if you're a minority, you have to learn two ways of thinking, two ways of speaking, two different cultures in order to be successful. So that does give me a different perspective. And when we started the church, my wife and I started the church in Austin, Texas, uh, and we grew it to approximately a thousand people. We wanted to be very intentional of having a multiracial, multicultural church that would reflect the demographics of our community, and, and which we did. When I resigned to become general superintendent, our constituents at our church, our our regular attendees were about 50% white or Caucasian, 26% Hispanic, uh, which was our largest minority group in that area, 18% black or African American, 6% Asian American or Native American. So that's a lived experience long before the the recent uh, turmoil. Mm -hmm. So it's always been my goal to make the church, and here's my statement for the UPCI and the Apostolic Movement. First of all, our churches should reflect the demographics of our society. Otherwise, we're not being effective in reaching our own society. Second, our our ministry and our leadership should reflect the diversity that's in our churches. And so that's an ongoing process, and that can be a time lag between the time new people come into the church and by the time they rise to levels of leadership. Mm-hmm. And we have to be intentional and proactive. So that's been my goal all along. Now, when all these different um, things begin to happen, and there were some real injustices uh, that perhaps caught many people by surprise, but if you study our history, you'll know some of the background of that. And I think there were legitimate concerns that needed to be raised. But then there was a reaction by some. It seemed they were using this to promote a very radical agenda, a socialist or even Marxist agenda, a a destructive agenda. And, of course, we saw riots and and violence, and and we're opposed to that. And so there were people that – you know, they're now trying to use that. Well, I felt as an international leader, to be silent is making a statement. And Mm. like it or not, we live in a world of social media. And if we are completely silent on this one issue, that in itself is a statement. Now, we can't make a statement on everything that happens, and uh, we shouldn't be judged just because we don't make a statement on everything. (laughs) But on something that is totally consuming our society... I think the church has to be clear, and I have to consider that we're an international church and a a connected church. So we have millions of believers. In fact, the vast majority of our constituents are not white. So they look at all the news, and they wonder, is what the news is portraying about America correct? Uh, Is the UPCN America racist? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that might seem absurd to us to even ask this question or offensive, but we have believers and even leaders across the world that are wondering, where do we stand? 
And if we say nothing, well, then some guy who identifies, self-identifies as apostolic or UPCI, but we, we have no idea who that person is, and they might make some statement. Mm-hmm. But that is going to be perceived as a, a representative apostolic statement. Uh, you know, if, so if we're silent, then we let people on the margins define us or even right. critics define us. And then within our own constituents, for example, here in the U.S. and Canada, I estimate that about 30% of our constituents are not white. And so let's say you have an African-American person in one of our churches or Hispanic in one of our churches, and their unsafe family and friends say, well, why are you going to a white church? Mm-hmm. What are they supposed to say? Uh, it, it's helpful if we have some official statements or even some discussions where they could say, well, no, this is not a white church. This is a multiracial church, and we are proactive, and here's here are the things we've done, and here are the things we're working on that we know we need to improve. Um, and so I felt like it was important for me to frame the conversation in a right way, because if I don't, somebody else will. Mm. And then you also ask, well, what should we be doing? Uh, that, that's a huge question, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think we have to be more intentional. Uh, we can't speak like the world speaks on either side. We can't become politicized. While we are a conservative theological group, which means also our political and social views will tend to be conservative, that doesn't mean we should support a certain political party or a certain candidate as the church. Now, as individuals, of course, we should be engaged. But the church needs to rise above that and have a voice that can speak to the moral issues of the day and that can welcome people of all backgrounds. I think we do need to be more intentional, uh, uh, more intentionally inclusive, and making sure that our structure and our method of operation does facilitate uh, people of all races and all cultures and all languages coming into the church, participating, rising to level of leadership, and being reflected even in our district leadership, our national leadership, our, our colleges, and so forth. Um, and, and as I said, it's a big subject, but if, you're, if someone is really interested, they can go to upci.org, which is our website, and they can go to Resources Statement Archives. And I've got a timeline of what the UPCI has done in the past 50 years, including 2020 and 2021, to address these issues. And I also have a rather lengthy discussion of racial and ethnic affirmation. And then on YouTube, I have a recent, the last couple of weeks, a discussion, an interview where we discuss all these issues in detail. Yes, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. We'll put a link to that in our show notes as well, because I really encourage people to go check that out. It was very, very well done. And I, I appreciated a lot of the things that were said there in that particular video. You just made the statement that we can't become politicized and that while we are conservative in our theology and it lends itself then to being more conservative in our politics that as a church supporting a particular political party is not something that we should be about. And I agree with that 100% and I'm grateful to hear you say that because as we here in the U.S. know, in addition to COVID, in addition to the racial inequality and unrest that we saw uh, in the past year, we also had a very contentious presidential election. and. I would say Christians across the spectrum, not just apostolics, but 
Christians as a whole were divided in a way that I have not seen uh, in my lifetime about who to support, why they should support certain things, why you shouldn't support certain candidates. And so obviously, I don't want to intrude into your confidential voting record. But as an apostolic, what kind of criteria should we be using when we decide which party to support, which candidates to support, which issues to support? And should there be things, because it feels to me, at least as growing up in an apostolic church and family, that certain topics seem to, I guess, take all of the emphasis. And so, for example, things like abortion and religious liberty, those kind of take precedence over everything else. In my observation, I don't know if that's actually the reality or if that's just what I see. But should those things take precedence in our decision making? And what kind of some guidelines for us on how we should be thinking about these topics? Oh, of course, to some extent, that's going to be a matter of individual preference. So let me be clear. I do believe that Christians should pray for our country. Uh, we should vote. Uh, we should evaluate people uh, or candidates according to moral values. And I think pastors should discuss those moral values. Uh, so I'm not saying we shouldn't be engaged. And right. even uh, we could have people run for political office or be appointed for off to offices. But I'm just saying, as a church, officially, we want everybody in the community to feel welcome to come and, mm -hmm. and be saved and be part of the church. So we don't want to inadvertently or deliberately send a message by the way we talk from the pulpit, well, if you belong to a certain party, we don't want you here. You could never be here, or you'd have to change parties. Mm -hmm. you know, we, maybe they should change parties or sh should change politics, but <laughs> we don't want them uh, that to be a precondition to come to church or a precondition mm -hmm. to come to the altar and repent. So we have to be careful not to do that. And there's a, an, another reason. Of course, under U.S. law, if you openly promote, promote candidates, you can lose your tax-exempt status. And while that's significant, that's not the reason for my what I'm saying. Uh, but then a, a second point is this. Even if we generally support a certain candidate or a certain party, chances are they're going to say or do something we don't agree with. Because chances are they're not going to be fully apostolic, and they're not going to agree with us in every position. And so we have to reserve the right to say, even though I voted for this person or even though I support this party, if they do something I feel is wrong, I need to be able to feel free to say that's wrong. And I can't be so in league with them that I've got to defend them for everything, no matter what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think pastors and churches need to have some distance so they can say, I agree that you should be against abortion, but I don't agree that you should be racist. And so mm -hmm. if you've got a candidate that's both, well, well, I can't support that candidate. <laughs> or, you know, and that, that does become an issue. Now, I'm not saying this is accurate, but I'm saying this is an honest perception. One of the converts of our church, a, a senior African-American gentleman, he made this statement about the last election. I know this might uh, offend people on any side. <laughs> so I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just giving you honest. This is what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. He says, here's do I support the candidate that's for abortion that will will encourage or at least allow abortion? Or do I support the candidate that allows racism? Well, maybe that wasn't the right way, but that's what he was thinking. I have a almost impossible choice. 
So we have to respect people as they work through that. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say sometimes the media distorts positions of candidates, and sometimes the opposite sides distort their opponents. So, But that is a real concern for many people. So what I look for is someone who is going to uh, support the church or, or, or – uh, Religious freedom, that's first, because if you look in the Bible, the role of government, we're supposed to pray for our, for kings and leaders. That was spoken in a time where Nero was the emperor. He was a very evil pagan emperor. Mm-hmm. How in the world are we supposed to follow him and pray for him? Well, when you read the whole context, pray that we will live peaceable lives. Pray that there will be peace in our society. Uh, pray that evildoers will be punished. And, you know, pray that we can serve God. So we first look for leaders who will protect our freedom to live our lives and and in peace and harmony and be free to worship God and go to church and preach the gospel and win souls. So anything that would try to restrict that, we're, we're going to have to first and foremost stand up for personal liberty and religious liberty. So that's that's a big deal. Uh, I do think that pro-life positions are very important, um, you know, because we want a culture of life, not a culture of death. But then now we have to realize we're in a pluralistic society. So we believe fornication is wrong, adultery is wrong, divorcing your spouse without biblical cause and marrying somebody else just because you want to, that's wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. But and so when when something is at a cutting edge, where culture is tipping in a different direction, we would tend to oppose anybody like that. But once the culture is locked into something, while we don't agree with it, we realize, well, it's a it's a non-Christian, pluralistic, non-apostolic society. We have to pick our battles. Mm -hmm. So let's let's give the example of President Trump. Well, he was divorced and remarried three times, and by his own admission. He was the guilty party. He committed adultery. Do we support that? No. Uh, but but then you have – he also was support both Trump and Biden supported homosexual marriage. Well, do we support homosexual marriage? No. But, well, which candidate you're going to vote for? So while these issues may be important, we have to recognize in some cases uh, as the church we can preach and teach. But we may not have the option to vote in every case according to certain moral mm-hmm. teachings because that has been um, – the society's already moved past that, and we don't have the practical ability to influence that. And in some cases, we're make, choosing the lesser of two evils where nobody truly reflects our views in every way, but we have to choose the one that we think will best serve us as what I mentioned before, religious liberty – um, and then also there's a component of economic freedom because if we have policies that hurt our economy, then that's going to hurt the church. That's going to hurt missions. Uh, so it's all linked together. There, mm-hmm. there are many issues that we have to consider, and uh, we have to be thoughtful and prayerful in, in making our choices. Now, another topic that has come into the news recently that I'm that I've seen a little bit about and I'd like to get your take on is – there seems to be a concern um, about the rise of Christian nationalism in the United States. And is that something that you feel like we should be concerned about, that we should be keeping an eye on? And 
how do we guard ourselves against getting sucked into a movement that might not be with the, the best interests of the church and, and the mission of the church at the forefront? As always, we have to go back to biblical principles. And the Bible does teach us, teach us to respect our leaders, to respect our society, to be law-abiding citizens. We see this in Romans chapter 13. We see this in First Peter chapter 2. But at the end of the day, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I personally, I am an American citizen. I love our nation. Having been raised overseas, I can look at it from afar and see where it's flawed. And I see where some other nations have cultural points that I think are superior to America. But at the same time, I've also been able to see the unprecedented nature of uh, freedom and economic opportunities. So I highly respect our nation. But what's known as Christian nationalism, we would reject because we're not trying to have, we're not trying to privilege an ethnic or national identity above in a, in a divisive way. So I would say as Christians, we're firm, for first and foremost, we recognize that God is the father of all humans. There's really only one human race. And so we should work for reconciliation and loving one another across racial, ethnic, cultural, and national boundaries. Uh, we shouldn't promote our nation to the detriment of the church or the common good of humanity. Mm -hmm. Having said that, there's nothing wrong with trying to provide for and protect your family and by extension, your community, and by extension, your nation. And America is not a perfect nation, but I do believe America has facilitated personal freedom and economic opportunity in a greater way than any other time in human history, which that means the church has been free to operate, and the church has had resources for world missions. So I believe God has used uh, America to bless the world and and to facilitate the growth of the church. So I think there's a balance. What I'm trying to say is if you are an American citizen, you can be patriotic as a citizen, loving your nation and wanting to support your nation. But your primary identity, first of all, has to be that I serve God. I'm a Christian. And every human being is, a, is a created in the image of God. Every human being is someone that Jesus Christ died for. So my love has to transcend my national boundaries and ethnic boundaries and racial boundaries to the whole human race. And then even more so in the church, the church is composed of God's people from every background. And Ephesians 2 talks about how God has bridged the racial and ethnic lines by uniting people in the church. So my identity um, as a Christian has to supersede um, my identity, you know, my just my human identity. Um, and, and so I hope that that answers your question. Uh, Christian nationalism may mean different things to different people, but I would be opposed to any kind of movement that promotes some kind of a racial identity in a divisive way uh, against the principles that I've just mentioned. Yes, for sure. That does answer the question. Thank you. Well, that is really all the questions that I had prepared for you. I know that we could we could talk for hours on any one of those topics, but unfortunately, that's just not <laughs> possible. I do want to ask you, we have on our show 
It's called Good Question. And we like to ask every guest the same final question, which is, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? Wow, I'll have to think about that. (laughs) A good question that I've been asking myself lately, I suppose with all of it's that's been happening the past year and everything that we've talked about, a recurring question that comes to me is, what should I be saying publicly and specifically on social media? Uh, because, you know, you can't say everything uh, because you'll be misunderstood. And if you're a leader, if you make any substantive statement, there are going to be some people pro and con. Mm-hmm. So it may not be worth it to you know, say all of your personal views, Um, especially as a leader, I don't want to get embroiled in a needless controversy uh, that would cause people not to listen to what I have to say or discourage people. So I I suppose a question that I periodically ask myself in the current context is, when should I speak and when should I be silent? Mm -hmm. Uh, What is important? I can't, I don't need to speak on every social issue or every event every day. But um, if I never speak, then as we discussed earlier, by default, other people start shaping the conversation. Mm. And so, uh, so for example, recently, uh, we just saw where Hamas, the Palestinians, started shooting rockets, I think 4,000 rockets against Israel. Israel retaliated with bombing those sites and their people on both sides. Well, so that's that's a practical example. Should I say anything or should I be silent? Mm. Um, and I felt like I can't respond to every event, but I do think it is important for us as Christians to support Israel's right to exist. That doesn't mean that the government Israel, Israel always makes right decisions, so we don't mm. have to uncritically support uh, the government of Israel, but we can say uh, we should stand for the Jewish people and be against any discrimination against them, anti-Semitism, and we can support that Israel is a nation and should be allowed to live within its own borders in freedom. So I chose to, um, you know, I chose to make a statement there. Um, and of course, predictably, there are people who are very supportive and people who are very antagonistic. Say, mm-hmm. if you're a man of God, how can you support a nation that's killing people? Well, I'm not supporting anybody killing anybody, but there's a principle there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, to 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 summarize, one of my recurring questions is: When is it important for me to speak up, and when is it important for me to be silent? And if I do speak up. When is it important to say this is a matter in which there is Christian liberty, i.e. sincere Christians can have differences of opinion, and we should respect those opinions? So if somebody's going to have hate speech, no, we shouldn't respect that opinion. We shouldn't respect all opinions. (laughs) But there is a certain area of Christian liberty where, yes, we can respect people's opinion even when we disagree. So I suppose the question would be, when is it important for me to speak up? And when is it important for me to express that we need to allow a range of opinions? And when is it important for me to say, no, for apostolics, for Christians, this is the way we should go? Because I am a leader. After all, I, mm. I can't just follow. I have to lead. Uh, right. So sometimes I have to say, this is right and this is wrong, and this is the way we should go. 
Well, like I said at the beginning, I'm very, very grateful to have um, you in that position of leadership. And it's so encouraging to just hear a little bit about your process. And I was I was in no doubt, but to know the the wisdom and the thoughtfulness and the prayer that you put into every decision about what to say and what not to say. It's uh, it's an example, I think, that we could all do well with with following, especially when it comes to posting things on social media, <laughs> um, but just in our everyday lives as well on all of these uh, hot button issues, I guess, knowing that we should be asking the Lord for wisdom about when to speak and when to be silent. And I just am so thankful that you were able to join us today. I appreciate your time so very much. I look forward to maybe getting to speak with you again in the future. Well, thank you so much. May God bless you. I don't know if I've ever had another conversation with so much information packed into that short of a time frame. I hope you heard something there that got you thinking or will spark a conversation in your life today. I know I thought of about 10 more questions the minute the recording stopped, so I'm sure your wheels are spinning as well. If you have thoughts you'd like to share, come on over to Instagram and we'll talk about them. I'm so grateful for Dr. Bernard taking the time to speak with us. I also have to give a huge thank you to his executive assistant, Sister Rhonda Morley, for coordinating all the details with us. Working with her was an absolute breeze and a joy. I was glad I was able to express my appreciation to Dr. Bernard for his wisdom and leadership this past year. Again, if you're not following his Facebook account, I would highly recommend that you do so. And if you ever need any encouragement to pray for him, just peep that comment section every now and again. It will motivate you to lift him up, I promise. That's going to do it for this week. As always, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. You can find the show on Instagram at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also search for the show page on Facebook, or you can email us at goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who always pushes me to chase my dreams and my dream guests is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Pawalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back in your ears next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.